you guys sound great this morning. Please be seated. What do you think? Two more next week? All right, we can talk about it later. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 6, we're almost to make it all the way through the book of Ephesians. We're situated here in, in verses uh, 10 through 20, which is the whole armor of God. And um, we just kind of opened that last week with the understanding that it is a spiritual battle that we fight, and um, it is spiritual armor that we need, that uh, the schemes of the devil are just that, <laughs> the schemes of the devil. This morning, I think we'll understand that a little more specifically as we work through what sin actually is, but we're also going to look at something great, I think, this morning, and that's uh, the personification of the seven series or pieces of armor that God gives us to use, and we're going to personify them as a, as a Christian, as a man or a woman uh, who actually goes out into the world and uses those pieces for God's glory. So let's read this passage, have a little prayer, and uh, we'll get to lunch about 2 o'clock this afternoon. That's my wife, I heard that. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's what we want to do as believers, right? We want to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up. The whole panoply, whole armor of God, offensive, defensive. The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Repetition of the word stand is important. Stand therefore, having fastened on a belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all the times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, for the whole church, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. Proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. It's the word of the Lord. Let's go to prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, uh, we enjoin in your word together, just momentarily, Father, let's delight our souls in the truth that you have for us. Give us strength. Give us encouragement, Father. Let the Holy Spirit be ever-present not only in my preaching and in these words, but in the hearts of your people. We need your encouragement. We live in a difficult world today. We need to understand what it means to be a joyful warrior uh, that takes up the armor of God and takes up the honor of God in that armor. And Father goes forward with the truth to glorify the God who has saved us. For it's in his name we pray, in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Beloved, the, the violence in our culture is real, isn't it? The evil in our culture is real. The fact that you don't want it to be doesn't lessen it one bit. 
Uh, we, we live in a pivotal time. I often say this. If you're part of our Sunday school, I, I kind of undergird this. It's, I, I love the time in which I live. Lord is perfectly righteous, and he knows exactly what he's doing, and he's put the people he needs in the places he needs at the time he needs them to be. And there's no mistake that the people that are sitting here this morning are those people. Beloved, I don't know if you look at yourself like that, but I love the time in which we live. And I am consumed in understanding that God is doing something good through that because that's who he is. And either, otherwise, I'd be overwhelmed by all the events that I see take place. I mean, we just saw this week the tragedy of the shooting at the, the Chiefs parade. I mean, there's evil everywhere, and it pops up its head at all times. But we are those whom Christ is saving, and we can live this life and serve our God with joy, with joy, beloved, with joy, with smiles on our faces because we are assured of all these three events. Number one, that God is in complete control. Number two, that he's working everything out to our good, for the good, right, for the good of his believers, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, Paul writes in Romans 8, 28. So he's in complete control. He's working everything that we see to our good and to his glory. And that's where we want to be. We want to be exultant in his glory. A lot of times I look at it like this. If you grumble and complain, you're actually grumbling and complaining against the sovereignty of God. Whatever he brings to you in each individual day, whether it be a shooting at the parade or whether it be a birthday party for your grandson or your grandchildren in the afternoon, God is bringing that to give you your good out of that and bring to his glory. He's completely in control of all of it. So this joy, this joyful part of being a joyful warrior, what does that mean really? Joy is the feeling of delight, and I don't have a lot of time to spend on joy. I know you know what joy is. It's the feeling of delight in your soul and choosing to trust in the promises of God. Do you ever revel in that, how God chose you, how you understand truth from life, light from dark, that God has given you an understanding so that you don't run down the road of, of making a mess of your life? Oh, wait a minute, we all already did that, didn't we? That God picked us up to pieces, and he's putting that life back together. God has given, and there's joy in that, beloved. There's joy. The well of joy in your life is filled in the word and promises of God. The well of joy in your life is filled in the word and in the promises of God. That is that we are those who understand our Bibles to the point we understand why the world is the way it is, why the evil is the way it is and what will happen in the world in which we live. We understand from the beginning to the front. If you're any Bible student whatsoever, you know that God is in total control and things are working exactly according to his plan. We are those little children. You are from God and you have overcome the world for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's us. That's speaking of us. God who is greater than the evil in the world is in us and we're overcomers of the evil of this world. And we don't know every minute detail, right? We don't know the exact timing. We don't know every detail and promise that takes place, but we believe them. But we do know that the one who promises is the one who we can say with Paul, this is why I suffer like I do. This is why the world looks the way and life looks the way it does. But I am not ashamed, Paul says, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has been trusted, what he has given us, what he has promised. He is God, beloved. God is in control of all things. 
even all the evil in the world that we see. Remember the former things of old, Isaiah writes in verse 46, For I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my glorious purpose. That's the God we serve. That's why we can have joy in this life, joy in the promises, joy in our lives, joy in raising our children, joy in understanding that those children were given to us by God and he's going to take care of those children that he has the exact plan and purpose for their lives. And that he's going to follow that through. He is faithful to generation after generation that loves him. Our lives are not passive. Our life is what God is doing in this place. Church, we're not passive. We're not an accident. We're not just here by mistake just to take up air and be carbon uh, atoms for a little while. God is working through us. God is presently working through his church to carry out all things that he's going to do on this place, in this place. As Christians, we are those who, we are the church, we are the instruments by which God is working in our midst, and he has given us this armor that Paul talks about, this armor, this, these war materials, these special precious promises bought with the blood of Jesus Christ that we are to use in this place so that we can be victorious and that we can live in victory and have a joyful life in this place, that we won't be caught away by Satan's lies after we've gotten forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that we understand through his truth that we can live lives that glorify God. Those things bring a calm and a peace to our lives. Think about the world without the church. I often ask you to go through this exercise, but think about the world without the church. What would it look like? I have a great illustration, by the way. It looked like our government trying to fix COVID. They close the churches, but the churches are what we need. Beloved, we need the spiritual hope of what God is doing in our lives. We need the promises of the almighty God who spoke everything that exists into existence. We need his promises in our lives. We need his grace in our lives. So we need what he is giving us to live those lives in joy. So scripture gives us the understanding of this armor of God. And I want you to check out this graphic this morning because it's these seven things that are through this passage. And you guys know I never do this. I don't ever distract from the word of God. But this is the word of God on the screen up there. And I want to do something this morning. I want to look at this in a way that helps us understand that this is for us, beloved. This is for us and our consumption so that we can live joyful lives here this morning. I want to personify them into a man. You see that belt of truth? That's somebody who knows what's right. Do you see the breastplate of righteousness? That's somebody who lives what is right. He knows what's right. He does what's right. And because he has the readiness of, God, of the gospel, he teaches what is right. And that's an instrument of his life, isn't it? If he knows what's right and does what's right, his life will teach what's right. He's ready with the gospel. He's ready with the truth about what this world is and the truth about evil and the truth of the lies that are all around us in this world. And he goes out in this truth with the shield of faith because it gives him boldness. He has faith in all of God's promises and he can preach that gospel and live that life. It doesn't matter what Satan fires at him. He is ready because he has the shield of faith and the promises 
of God. Do you see this in the personification of the believer, of the man? He goes out and he lives in faith. And by the way, he has the helmet of salvation, beloved. He knows. Just like I want you to know. I think this one's so important. I hope we have time to go through each one of these. I think if we spent 20 minutes on each one, that might be enough this morning. No. <laughs> Won't do that. He has the helmet of salvation. He can live like this because he knows death is victory. That's what the helmet of salvation is. Not only should we be bold because we know God's promises and it's not our life we're going to present, but God's life, God's promises, God's hope, Jesus' victory, right, in, in and over death, but we have the helmet of salvation so that we can go into a world, an evil world, an evil world where there's a spiritual battle taking place. And we can do so knowing that God is sovereign over all those events and even if it meant, like Paul, his death, that that meant death was swallowed up in victory. Mm. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Right? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? That's what Paul would say. And then we have the sword of the Spirit. That is the word of God. It defeats all the enemy's lies. If we speak it boldly, all we need to do is read it and believe it and live it and to speak it boldly in behalf of God. And his promise is what? If his word goes out from our mouths, it will accomplish all that he has set forth for it to bring to pass. You see how important we are, church? You see how important it is that we be wrapped in the whole panoply, whole, the whole armor of God? And then he prays in the spirit knowing that the God of heaven hears his prayers and he leaves the results of his life lived in this manner. And the personification of these Spiritual armor of God, he leaves it in the hands of God. He li to live like this will become a joy to you. I promise that. To live like this will become freedom to you. To live only fearing what God thinks about you and not what man thinks about you will be a joyful life. The burdens and the pressures of this world will begin to melt away, and we can live knowing that God holds the key that when we suit ourselves in this armor, beloved, we have great encouragement to live and to preach with boldness what God has called us to do. We can do that. We can do that as his church. You can do that as a mother. You can do that as a wife, as a husband, as a police officer, as a lawyer. Whatever God has called you to do in this place, you can do that and defeat evil all around you while you're doing it. Because listen to me, there is no, the Bible leaves no room for there not to be true evil in this world. There is evil. And we need to understand that a little bit. So let's turn this morning. Uh, let's look at this evil kingdom because that's what the New Testament reveals to us. That it's actually and indeed a kingdom of evil among us. And that's why we need to be wise as serpents but harmless as doves. Why is this serpent and harmless as does what Jesus says? We need to understand the existence of this kingdom. We need to understand somewhat of how it operates so that when we are shielding and, and take on the full armor of God, we can bring glory to God and joy to our own lives, which is, listen, joy is nothing more than human flourishing in this place. And flourishing doesn't always have to look like what we think it does. Flourishing can mean so many things in God's economy. Even Paul would tell you that he flourished through all the trials 
and the tests that he withstood as a missionary. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 12 this morning, and let's see what Jesus has to say about a few of these things as we look at this. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to begin at verse 22. And this is the parable of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And just a little context here, although the story is quite complete if we just read it. Uh, Jesus is speaking. Uh, there was a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute and was brought to him. There at verse 22, read it. And he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. Um, Jesus overcame a demon. This is uh, perhaps our greatest example and, and what I will put forth at the end of my sermon as the greatest example of a spiritual warrior and one who used himself all of the full armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, gospel readiness. Who is that other than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Who knew more truth and acted out more in truth and who was more righteous and who preached the gospel and who understood to live in faith more than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He relied on the Word of God. He relied on prayer and the Spirit, didn't he? He understood what all of these things were for, and he modeled them in a way. But we must understand that evil exists. Jesus understood that, and he teaches that all through the Gospels. He's continually healing and driving out demons and demon oppression. Then the demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And the people were amazed at this and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only, it is only by Beelzebul that the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Verse 25, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, This is, this is classic Jesus. He's going to use their own thoughts to teach them a great truth, and in doing so, we get to understand that Satan's kingdom is the kingdom of evil on this earth. Listen to Jesus' own words, verse 25. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will ever stand. Verse 26, And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? You see that there? Jesus establishes that Satan has a kingdom of evil here on this earth. And if I cast out demons, verse 27, by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But, verse 28, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What we see here is just marvelous. Verse 26 says that Satan has a kingdom. It's here on this earth. It's the kingdom of evil. But just in the opposite, verse 28, we see that those who wear this armature, armor and do this work, it says, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So listen, beloved, here's a, a, a truth that you need to grab a hold of as we just read through this passage this morning is that when you take up the whole armor of God and you begin to use it, you use the truth, you live the truth, you preach the truth, you're not fearful to go out in the world and speak the truth, right? You use the sword of the Lord, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, uh, to go out and defeat the lies of the enemy, you are bringing to bear on evil in your world and in the world around you that ex you exist, the kingdom of God. Where else do you want to be as a Christian? Is there anything else that you want to be doing other than glorifying your Lord through putting on all the spiritual armor that he has given you 
And in standing, in the day, it says to stand. Stand, therefore, girded with all the armament that the Lord has given you to be girded with. And look what happens, verse 29. You become the strong man. Christ is our strong man, and he's given to us through his death, burial, and resurrection, and our redemption, the ability to be strong men, to live a life that he's called us to live. Or, verse 29, how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods? Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. The strong man is bound by the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Sin has been erased for those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can go into the strong man's house and overcome sin in our lives first and in this world. The evil kingdom exists and the... um, I don't know, you know, the kind of the spirit of the air, the spirit of the age wants us to smooth over. It doesn't like black and white. It wants a big gray area in the middle where we say, you know, is that really evil? Is it, well, we'll just let, if they choose to practice that, we'll let them practice. We won't practice that, but we'll let them practice that. The spirit of the age wants to see a big gray area, and that's how liberalism works. That's how the enemy works. That's how the lie works. You understand that anything that's been created that's good here in this place, just look at the history of the United States. When the pilgrims came over, they began to grow and to populate the earth, and Christianity began to spread, and they built great schools. They built Yale and Harvard. All of the Ivy League schools were instituted so that we could raise up pastors and so that we could study theology and study science so that we could know who God is. All of our early scientists understood that they were just looking at creation to figure out more of what God has done. But this is how the lies of Satan works. You see, liberalism and the lies never create anything good. Christianity comes in, creates it. You ever been to a hospital called St. Luke's, St. Mary's, right? Satan comes in and attaches to those good things, and he's very subtle, right? Doesn't it say that somewhere in the Bible? He's the most subtle beast of the field. And he'll bring in just a little minute bit of error. And that little minute of error, if we just kind of overlook it, you know, it's not that important. I don't want to cause a fuss. Listen, I can't cause a fuss. I'll, be, I'll look like the one who's uh, unequitable here. But that error grows. Pretty soon the whole institution's taking over from the inside out. That's how Satan does. And I'm going to back this up with words from Scripture. God created everything as what, beloved? Good. Very good. Satan come into the earth and destroyed. Brought sin in. Lies and murder. Right? And in Christ, the world's being recreated. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're being recreated back into what God originally created. So this liberalism, this allowing just a little bit of error to come in because you don't want to you don't want to go against it. You don't feel like it's your place. You don't you know that's exactly what Adam would have said when he was challenged. Uh, you know, Eve was there and I didn't I didn't speak. I didn't say anything. It's man's greatest sin, men's greatest sin is to keep their mouth shut. All it takes for evil to thrive, Burke says, is that good men do nothing and evil is allowed to thrive. So the enemy is real. There is an evil kingdom. And the enemy is real. Scripture portrays a kingdom of evil, and the head of that kingdom is Satan. 
The head of that kingdom is Satan, the devil, the enemy. Jesus explains in the parable of the weeds in Matthew 13, he says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, right? The good seed, you're going to see this as we go through. The field is the world and the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The corruption comes from whenever the bad seeds are allowed to corrupt the good seeds. The harvest is at the end and the reapers, the angels. He's the accuser of their brethren. He's the devil. He's the enemy. He's the king of this kingdom and he's the accuser other brethren, Revelation 12.10 says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night. He is the one that has been thrown down. He is the evil one. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart of those in that parable of the sowers. He is the Prince of demons, Matthew 9 says he cast out demons by the prince of demons. He is the ruler of the world. John says in chapter 12, verse 31, now the judgment of this world has come. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He is the God of this world. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He is the great dragon, that ancient serpent who was thrown down, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And that's the words we have in Ephesians 6.12, right? Is that those demon horde, the angels, the principalities and powers, that's what, that's what we struggle against, not against flesh and blood, but what powers flesh and blood in the evil. So what evil is is a kingdom. It's just as important, beloved, though, that as Christians we have such a full understanding of the doctrine of evil. So we need to know what evil is not. And it's hard to conceive completely of evil because we've been partakers of it. And as sinners, complicit in it, but we understand it rightly to save ourselves from it and to carry out our duties as joyful warriors. We need to understand what evil is. We need to spend more time than we are here this morning, but... I pray that this would suffice in your souls. Evil is not souls of dead unbelievers and ancestors called up to wreak havoc. It's just not. Um, this is why Ouija boards, those people that look in those little crystal balls that are all over the, the down at the ocean on the boardwalk, they're here too. This is why Ouija boards, tribal and ancestral religions, this is why people that say they can see the future, well, they're called properly by scripture necromancers. They call up the dead on behalf of the living. I would add yoga to this. When you practice these things, you're opening yourself up to what evil truly is, and that's demon possession. So evil is not dead unbelievers called up to wreak havoc on the earth, but it is a way for demons to possess unbelievers on the earth. Because we have to remember that demons are not all-present and all-knowing. They have to have a vessel with which to possess to carry out their evil. They have to have a life here to carry out the evil. They need help, and you let them, uh, let them in. Yoga is an Eastern religion, and many of the poses are worship positions to gods. And the energy they speak of, the serpent that crawls up your back, is just that, beloved. Don't be fooled by anything less 
He is a serpent. He is that serpent, the serpent that we've spoken about to some length to this point. He is Satan. He is a part of that kingdom. Evil is not then our ancestors and all the dead called up. Evil is not the personification of our own wicked sins. Evil is not the personification of our wicked sins. We give ourselves too much credit for salvation, and we also give ourselves too much credit for the evil that's around us. Uh, all of our evil collectively are not to blame. There is no human structure organization to sin. It is random. That's because it's Satan and his demon horde. They're the organization. They are the driving force behind it. They are the ones that are carrying this out with some scheme. He is the head of that kingdom, and they are his angels that were thrown down with him to carry out his wishes and desires. That's why verse 12 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So evil is not the personification of our wicked sins. Evil is also not a passing phase in the evolutionary process. And this is probably the most important thing for us to know in the culture in which we live. This is, beloved, this is uh, called a different word. This is Marxist theory, that we just need to make laws that will control evil. And we will sort of begin to kind of grow out of it, that the humans will finally see that all will be well when we just learn how to be good, right? We just, we just need to learn how to be good. That's what my mom would say. You just need to be good, Timmy. <laughs> but you know what? I couldn't be good because I was a sinner. And sin is the basis of all evil. And there's one who causes this sin to come into the world that was created good. It's laughable because sin is the nature of man. And as I often say, it's either Christ or chaos, beloved. It's either black or white here. There's no gray area. It's either Christ and his love and his peace, or it's Satan and his chaos and his kingdom. I remind you that man is not capable of removing his own sin nor controlling that sin and others to the extent it is tamed and overcome or it will ever be overcome. Only Christ, only the gospel, only the rebirth, only the new creation overcomes the sin by the regeneration of the heart. All you say that Jesus says you must be born again. You must be born again. This is what causes true repentance and true trust in Christ and a nature that is so changed that we never want to sin ever again and we begin to repent of any sin that we have. Only Christ can accomplish this, only in a new creation. So evil is not just a passing evolutionary process. So what is evil? Evil is its ruler. Evil is its ruler. The doctrine of Satan is far from immaterial and we must be well understood for us to be successful in our quest to be overcomers who are full of joy in this world. Because when you know the truth about your enemy, you may be feel like you, you're less adaptive or less armed, but if you know the truth about your enemy, you can stay one step ahead of your enemy. If you know the truth about who your enemy truly is and that he's defeated in everything that Christ has done, you can defeat that enemy yourself in your life. Bob Inc. writes this. He says, Satan remains Satan and will never be restored. 
Brother Blake asked me a question last week, and I, I love questions, right? I, I thrive on biblical questions because I want to understand them. And oftentimes we get a first blush and we say, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That's why it works like that. But as we focus and as we meditate on those things, we tend to understand them better. And Brother Blake's question was, when we get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, will there be sin? Can we fall again? He didn't quite say it like that, but I think that's what he meant. In other words, he was pointing back to when heaven and, and the earth was first created and they were in the garden. There was the ability to sin, right? Satan was there and he had sinned and he tempted Adam and Adam fell. Will that happen in the new heavens and the earth? New earth? Well, absolutely not because we are in Christ. But since we are in Christ, there's a beautiful corollary there, is that Satan could never be in Christ. You understand that? That's how defeated this dude is. He can't be saved. He can't repent of his sins because he is sin. He is lie. He is murder. He will never be restored, Bob Inc. writes. That is, the devil was a sinner from the beginning. He fell of his own accord. He was not tempted, nor did anyone was there to tempt him. He was there with God. He saw all of the glory of God and all of the splendor and all of the majesty. And he said in his own heart, that's what I want. And he fell. All in one foul, swift motion, he fell into sin. There was no outside corruption that interfered with him. No interference by anyone. But only in himself. He sinned without being tempted. And Adam sinned by Satan's temptation. That doesn't make him any less a sinner. But you do you see uh, why it's important to understand that nothing tempted Satan because he was sin. So just as God is love, Satan is sin. Just as God is mercy, Satan is lies. Just as God is truth, Satan is lies. Just as God is light, Satan is dark. Just as God is life, Satan is death. He's a progenitor of these things. Jesus said that in John chapter 8, verse 44. He said to the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. Oh, my goodness, what harsh words. We can't think of even pronouncing them words today. You're your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Here is the truth. He was a murderer from the beginning. He is murder. He is death. Just as God is holy and righteous, Satan is unholy and unrighteous. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, beloved, it's natural. He speaks out of his own character, Scripture says, his own heart and his own ontological being. That's who he is. That's all he can be, for he is a liar and the father of lies. For us to see it any differently robs us of the joy of speaking God's truth. Sin is generated from Satan. He is the father of it. This kingdom is opposite Christ's kingdom. That's why we say it's either Christ or chaos, because Christ's kingdom is light, Satan's is dark, Christ's kingdom is truth, and righteousness, Satan is lies, and to see Christ's kingdom is life, and Satan's is death. But the strong man, beloved, the strong man has bound this Satan. 
Not only that, has he bound Satan, but he's given you what you need to keep that rotten devil from ruining your life. Do you see it now more clearly? We don't have time to go any of them in depth. But I want to put you in remembrance of them. There's no gray areas. Listen, beloved, you've heard me say this time and time again. We need men who live like this. We need Christians who live like this. We need churches to put on the full armor of God to go out into this world and to speak without fear the truth of God, to defeat the devil among us. Not only do we need that here, but we have a dying culture that desperately needs to know what truth is. So truth is this. You put on the belt of truth. That is, you know what's right. You put on that righteousness that comes from knowing what's right because you want to live and do what's right. And you want to teach what's right so you have a gospel readiness that at any time that someone may hear the truth, you're ready to tell them why the truth is what it is and that they too can be saved, that God will save them, that he will give them that same truth and let them live that righteous life so that they can have victory over all of the things that bind them. Because they're bound in their sins, beloved. We were bound in our sins without hope until Jesus Christ died. And then on that tree of Calvary, Christ was placed. And on him, all of Satan's lies and sins that we've ever committed. Anytime that we've been fooled by him and lived for him and lived for this world. All of that, all of our unrighteousness, all of that sin, all of that evil placed upon the Son of God and taken completely away as far as the east is from the north. Beloved, if you don't put on the armor of God, you're not putting on the truth of the cross. We need Jesus. And we need what Jesus has left for us to be victorious and joyful in this place. These beloved are blood bought weapons, blood-bought weapons. I call you today to take up the whole armor of God. The belt of the truth, we're the church, we're the pillar in the ground, beloved of truth, the scripture says. We must take up truth and stand. If we don't, who will? All this world needs the truth of God. Sometimes it doesn't want to hear it. That doesn't mean it doesn't need it, right? And we need to wear the breastplate of righteousness. We need to live that truth because it's in living that truth. We bring glory to God and we need to preach that truth. That gospel readiness that says that I'm, I'm ready. If you'll listen, if you want to hear truth, man, I've got the greatest news for you in the world. The kingdom of darkness is defeated and Jesus reigns victorious. Right? That's gospel. That's what it means. That's the good news. And that you can live this life. You take up a... Shield of faith, beloved, you can walk out anywhere in this world. Huh. You, you can go anywhere in this world if you believe God's promises. You can go anywhere. I stood in some of those places. Missionaries do. Believers do. Don't let the master of lies lie to you. And then knowing, listen, do you see it there? The helmet of salvation. Be willing to die for that truth because death is victory. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Take your Bible with you and defend that truth. 
preach it because it always accomplishes what God set it out to do. And then pray, beloved, pray like you've never prayed before. Pray for God's kingdom come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Pray, pray in the spirit. Pray for God's grace to come down. Pray for God's truth to reign. Pray for this world to be covered with the knowledge of God like the waters cover the sea. Pray, beloved, pray. Pray for God to use you. Pray for God to show you how to put on this armor. Pray for God to save your neighbor. Pray for God to save your children. Pray for God to save this city. Pray for God to go out and work amongst us. Pray for God to come down and show us his glory. Pray for that. That's God's own heart. We can. We can because Jesus did. He he died so that we can live. We don't have to cower under the pews. Don't do it. Jesus is alive. And he saves. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to a close today, I marvel at your truth. Father, may we be a people that not only hear this truth this morning, but may we be a people who lives this truth, who preaches this truth, who believes in it in such a way we're willing to die for this truth. Mm. Give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. Bless us, O Lord, in these gifts which you've given us. Forgive us, Father, where we fail, for we do. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our men are going to come.